we've been going through the Gospel of John, and we, uh, you know, have been looking at different things. John will see like a Jesus feeding the five thousand, and then John will describe a bunch of stuff that Jesus says about that, and then he'll went on to another event, maybe Jesus heals someone, and then he'll go on to sort of tell uh, a bunch of stuff uh, about that that Jesus said. And, and you can, and he describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. In other words, he's saying that, that it, it, he has a name, but he chooses to use that as his description because he's saying, I've come to find out that the thing that is of most importance to me is that I've come to understand that Jesus loves me. And so he's writing to us, telling not just these events that happen, but he's trying to explain how Jesus expressed, his, how they came into a closeness with each other, which he's going to talk about here when he says, you know, I'm writing this so that we can have fellowship, so that our joy can be made complete. He's detailing out these things about Jesus. And, and when we got to one of the final discussions Jesus was having, I found that uh, I was going back to First uh, John because a lot of what Jesus was saying seemed to be kind of summed up or expanded on by John later in this. And so I think we're going to hold off on going to the crucifixion and the resurrection, maybe hit that closer to Easter and Maybe just continue taking a look at what Jesus said by looking here at First John. And this is how he starts it off. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, we proclaim concerning the word of life. He uses the word we, 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 not just I, I, I. And he's saying these are things I saw, we saw, we heard, we I um, had this conversation. I was eating with someone, and uh, their spouse had started learning to play the drums. And I had said, "Oh, I've always kind of wanted to learn to play the drums, but I just have you know zero rhythm, so I, I haven't even bothered trying because I just thought I'd be hopeless." And anyways, the conversation went off about like playing the drums, and I said, "Oh yeah, you know, I, I read this." article one time about this guy who had a heart transplant, and after he had the heart transplant, he could play the drums. <laughs> that like, you know, they think that like, maybe like your sense of rhythm comes from your heartbeat or something. But then I kind of laughed, I said, but I have no idea if that's true or not. <laughs> it's just, and he started laughing too. And obviously it wasn't interesting enough for me to look into it any other than that. But it was fun on the surface. Sometimes I'll just go through the news articles. I don't even read them. I'll just read the title. Anyways. What John's saying is this type of thing that, that we really face today, and it's not something unique today. We think of it as unique today because of Facebook and social media and stuff like that, but it's really just always been the case. He's saying, look, this is something that actually happened. I'm telling you about something that you can fact check. You know, I'm telling you about something that not just me, but other people, you can kind of look into it a little bit. I know that there's a lot of people out there just saying some stuff like, oh, Jesus said this, or Jesus said this, but I'm telling you, like, I, 
I heard him say this stuff, and other people heard him say this, and you should be able to like go back and like fact check this a little bit. I'm not just throwing it out there as something uh, interesting to talk about or something that I'm just coming up with. That can't be verified in any sense of the word. And, and so because of that, I'm going to sort of take a deviation from how I usually start and, and just talk a little bit about the history of what was happening here when 1 John was written outside of uh, historical references that the Bible makes just, you know, at the time period. Um, well, I mean, so if you were to go into that, let's just start. That, you know, there existed a Roman Empire. You, know, now you could say there wasn't a Roman Empire. Um, I and other old people uh, have come to believe that it's warranted to believe that there was a Roman Empire. And I know that there's all sorts of reasons behind that, but that's the type of thing that he's getting at. When are you going to just say something that's like, well, what can you say in terms of, but there was a Roman Empire of that type of thing, is what he's getting at. And so I'm going to go through, and the, the John doesn't even say that he wrote this book. And so this history, there's some things that he refers to that give us an indication. But a lot of this one I'm about to talk about at the beginning of the history is from the same historical sources. There's, there's quite a few multiple sources that we gain most of our history from about the Roman Empire and about Greek culture. And obviously this is one historical thing that's happening with Christianity and with Judaism at the time that, that's a part of that Roman history. As is other things like the Gauls or like the conquest. Or, you know, there's just lots of cultures and different things that are part of the Roman history. And, and this is one of those things. So there's a lot of sources that have, obviously everyone that speaks has an agenda. But this isn't coming from Christian or Jewish sources. Some of these were Jewish or some were Christian, but a lot were just not. So what we know about when this book was written is that the church had had started uh, with Jesus. And, and really what it was was Jesus was Jewish and everyone around him was Jewish and the people that he went to was Jewish and it was really about something within the Jewish people. And it came to be a difference of opinion about who Jesus was. Some people believed that in the Hebrew Bible that, well, almost everybody at the time Believed that the Hebrew Bible spoke about someone who was a Messiah, someone who would be a Savior, someone who would come, someone that God would send to save them. And some people came to believe that that was Jesus. And some people did not believe that that was Jesus. And so within the Jewish faith, within the Jewish people, there was a difference of opinion that was there. At about the church developed, and it was mainly Jewish, but, but within the Jewish context, there was a lot of Jewish people in Israel that were dispersed throughout the world, and so some people went out to talk about Jesus and what they feel like they had discovered with Jesus, that he was this Messiah, to these different places outside of Israel, uh, in synagogues, and that, that was something that often happened uh, with different things. And so, and as that was happening, because the areas that they were going to were oftentimes mixed, people that were non-Jewish also started to 
accept this. And in some areas, there really wasn't a Jewish population, and there wasn't a singer. They went there hoping to find one, and there wasn't, but they just talked to people anyways. And so people came to believe in Jesus that really had no Jewish background. And so that's why there started to become now this sort of change of defining Christianity as something other than Jewish because of that. That's sort of the history of what's happening. But the root had been of this, and many people at this time in the Roman Empire still considered Christianity as a sect or as certain Jewish people who believed this about Jesus and others did. And about 70 AD, the Roman Empire threw all of the Jewish people out of Jerusalem, kicked everyone out, dispersed everyone out. And so all of the people and all of the different things that had happened were pushed out into other areas. And John, one of the disciples, a disciple whom Jesus loved, and I think Philip and a couple other disciples, went up and settled in an area uh, by the church of Ephesus, which is one of the places where Paul had gone up and previously talked about Jesus in that area in a synagogue, and a group of people that had believed in Jesus were already there, and John came up. And what we find from these other historical sources, this isn't in the Bible, but these other that John sort of became the leader of the church in that area, and as the church sort of grew and more people believed in Jesus, they sort of started up more churches and needed to appoint different leaders. And John went out to that whole area, and you know, it wasn't like people flew, so it was like a walking area. So there was a lot of time that he spent away doing this or that, and, and that's what John was doing. And John wrote this at that time. And that from these other historical sources, uh, they said there was, there was two problems that had developed within the Christian faith at that time in, in these areas. And this is where there is some, uh, John himself sort of talks about some of these also. And so it connects with that. And what was happening was something that's in history is sort of known as sort of like the beginning of the, the Gnostic Gospels or this idea. But, but really what, what it was was people well, the two big things. One was from a guy who had, it looks like a Instigated a lot of trouble for Paul and Peter while it was in Jerusalem uh, prior to everyone getting pushed out. And, and the trouble that he created was he said, look, if these people out here are coming to Jesus, this is a Jewish thing that we need to, it can't be like something that, that expands outside of us being Jewish. They need to become Jewish also. In other words, you, you, you can't just have faith in Jesus it's true what Jesus said about needing forgiveness and that we we do uh, gain favor with God by grace, but there also needs to be some sort of standards that we hold to and some sort of culture that we're holding to, and that culture and that standards is described by Moses, and they need to become circumcised and adhere to the law. And he is one of the people that, that started up a lot of problems uh, up there uh, along that lines. Uh, another guy went sort of the other way, and, and this is 
true throughout the history of church and through, this is just a historical thing, it always happens that things kind of go one way or the other in two opposite ways. There's a group of people, and, and they thought that this is this would be a little bit odd. History sometimes odd. I'm not going to go into it in detail. But you know how in Acts it says like everyone was sharing their property, people sold their property and had everything in common? So these guys believed that wives were your property, and so you should share your wife with everybody. And it was just this weird, promiscuous, you know, it's just an odd thing. And what they said was, was that this all came from uh, this guy, Nicholas, who was one of the deacons in Jerusalem. See, once things left and moved out here, you could kind of get a little bit fuzzy with the history of what had happened here. And and they said, this guy is the one who we're following, and he uh, said things that Jesus said, that unless you have sex once a day, you cannot inherit eternal life. Okay, so that's the type of thing that John's dealing with. He's that's why he's writing this at the beginning. He's saying, "Look, you can't just say, well, you know, Nicholas said that Jesus said that you know, unless you have sex once a day, you cannot inherit eternal." Jesus just didn't say that. <laughs> you know, there's no one. There's no we in that story. There's no other like person. There was at this time. History says that there was a lot of people going around hearing these stories about Jesus, and they were going to find like different sources. It'd be like, you know, there, there's a few World War II survivors out there still. So if people say, like, oh, well, World War II didn't exist, you know, other people would say, well, actually, I met someone who, like, was in World War II. That it was still able to be fact checked in that type of way. And so that's what he's writing here, that it's coming up with this problem, and it's a very common problem in history, that when someone believes something or feels as though it, things need to... And what he's getting at here is, how do we all get along and delight in being with each other? There's a lot of opinions in terms of that. And so people decide, this is how we should get along, this is how we should have... You know, our lives together. This is how things will be good between us. But but in order to feel authoritative about it, you feel like you need to tie it to something that the people around you consider to be authoritative. So you try and come to it. So like there's one historical, I think it was like maybe Clement says, look, this guy Nicholas, he never said any of this stuff. He did say some stuff that he was like fond of a few sayings, that could be misconstrued, but this just a, the connection to him is false. And, and so, what you see in history is people will oftentimes twist something that is the case, and, and they'll twist it because they're trying to support something, and, and they want to be able to say, since this person who was close, as close as they could get to uh, someone who was one of the disciples, this person uh, says this, that Jesus said that, so then we're going to accept that. So, what John's, and they were dealing with that right away there around 70 AD, uh, not long after Jesus had died. And, uh, and there was challenges, or, or sort of not challenges really, but people saying, look, there's other things that Jesus said. It's just, Paul's making it 
John is making a distinction between the things of him and the disciples and the we part uh, of things that other people can verify and then things that other people are just sort of saying out of the blue. Now, then he says, the life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to you. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy, our delight, complete or full. And so he's saying, look, here's my agenda. I'm obvious, I want you to take a look and not just take it as me just saying, look, I had some special glasses that I saw something and, you know, this. <laughs> Look into it and see if you can come up with some sort of rationale that, that you feel like, okay, I feel like... Like, for instance, look, if you, if you don't believe in anything supernatural, it's perfectly reasonable to say, well, I mean, Jesus obviously existed... <laughs> I don't believe that he was God who came down. I just think he was some guy, right? It's a whole other thing to just say, well, that's just a completely made-up thing. It doesn't fit with anything rational when you look at history. Obviously, Jesus existed. And if you don't believe in anything supernatural, then obviously you would say, well, things happen. There was this guy that existed, and it seems historically that there are some people who came to this belief that he was God. That was probably the case. I just don't think that was the case. But it's a whole other thing to say, well, this is, you know, everyone just made this all up out of the blue. You wouldn't be able to go there. And so what John is challenging them is, and as much as you need to know, you know, come to some sort of thing that these are actual experiences and form beliefs on these actual experiences. In other words, he's saying it's not just a belief in Jesus or God or the Bible apart from all that. He's saying, given what we've come to know or come to believe, you know, here's these stories that happened at this time, and I've come to believe that these were true. Does that make sense? It's not just something that you just believe out of the blue. And he says... The reason why or my agenda in bringing this history out is because we need to address this problem and everyone should know that it's not just that you can verify what's happening here historically. I want you to do that, but I also want you to look at this is something that we need to talk about. This is addressing something that is important. And what he says is important is it's really important for us to figure out how we can have some delight in being together because there's so much that happens in life that just causes us to hate each other and just can't stand being around each other that we almost feel like I can't even be in a room full of four or five people because it's just going to be completely miserable. And you know what that feeling is like. It's like you walk in and it's like, oh, there's all these people. I don't think I can go in there. You know? But you also, we know, well, the alternative, we don't want to be alone. That's no fun. So he's saying, this is an important thing. How is it that we're going to come about, that we're going to be around each other, 
and delight in that being around each other instead of what seems to be the case we just inevitably end up hurting and harming each other and we just see that person and just like a sinking feeling comes and just like that this dread the opposite of delight happens and that's true for marriage for kids for friends for for everything you say this is an important thing to talk about and this is why it's important to look at this and, and sort of get the historical basis of it so that you can make a decision concerning what's being said here and how it affects not just our relationship with God, how it also affects our relationship with each other so that we can see if this actually, see empirically in the same way we looked at the history, see if this does make a difference in my life. And here's what he says that comes down to. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him, this is Jesus, and we're declaring it to you. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And that root of the word darkness is like shade, or shadiness, or obscuring. He's saying there's just no shadiness with God. There's no obscuring with God. And it's obviously a reference to God being good. And like this one person that he was dealing with that was really pushing that people adhere to certain standards so that they can be distinguished as good based on their culture and based on the rules that they're applying as compared to everyone else that's being bad. That person would look at this and say, oh, well, he's saying, God, there is no darkness at all, and so we need to, if we're going to have fellowship with God, we need to not mess up either. There needs to be no darkness. He, he, he says that concerning God. Concerning us, he says here in a second, we'll get to it. He says, uh, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim to have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. He's, he's not saying in this... God is good and holy and there's nothing in him. And so in order for us to have delight in being with God, the only way that we can do that is to match that. Because that's kind of how we think of it in life. The the way that I'm going to have, you know, delight in being with someone is insofar as, you know, if they really can stop hurting me and I stop hurting them, then we'll get along, right? He's saying... Look at your life. I mean, is, is that the case? That, that's not the case. <laughs> what relationship do you have where you haven't hurt someone and they don't hear where it like, exists in that area? That's like a utopia thing. He's saying, we do believe that that can exist with God. You know, God can have that. But God came down and, and chose to do give us a different way of having delight. And he says... If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And then he explains how it is that we can have fellowship with one another or what it is that that walking in the light is. He says, And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So, what's he getting in here? He's saying, look, you should be able to look out 
And just as you look at them, you know, come to some sort of warranted belief that the Roman Empire existed. You, you can come to some sort of belief that I have a feeling these are, this is what Jesus said, or this is who Jesus was. And from that, hit us what we would say, you know, it's pretty clear, this is what Jesus says, is that there's the only way that we're ever, the only hope that we have, the only mechanism that we have to delight in being with one another it involves us walking in repentance and forgiveness. Right? But how can... That, just think of your own relationships with others. Doesn't it always end up coming down? I mean, sometimes the person repents, but, but a lot of times it's like, you just kind of forgive the person. Right? It's a rarity when someone recognizes that they've done something wrong. Even though people, if we're doing something wrong every day, we should be really good and seeing and admitting all the things that we do wrong. We're just not, but we want to be together. So there's just, there needs to be sort of this attitude of forgiveness. There needs to be this. And insofar as we can participate in forgiveness, our role in participation would be insofar as we're able to repent. Right? So what we need in life, we should look at it, is we need to be able to delight in one another. But in order to be able to delight in one another, because we're not like God, and we, we sin all the time, and we hurt each other all the time, it, it requires that the only way in this life we can get together and, and delight in each other is that we need to be able to have this forgiveness and, and this repentance, this sort of mechanism, not the mechanism of the law. We need the mechanism of repentance and forgiveness going on in our life. Does that make sense? He's saying, other people are saying to you, you need to have a mechanism of people learning what the right way to live life is and then doing it, and then we'll delight. And he's saying, no, that, what in history or what in all of your life or in all of the news would ever cause us to believe that that is true? And he's about ready to say, if anyone says that, they're obviously a liar. The only hope we have is that somehow this mechanism of repentance and forgiveness, that we'll be able to walk in that. And how can we walk in that? He says, the only way you can walk in that is from an understanding that you're saved, that there's someone who's making things right. Now, think about that. That's what he's challenging us to think about. Everybody in the entire world that has ever existed understands that a relationship needs repentance and forgiveness. It's not like it's a revolutionary concept. But what the disagreement is, is what Jesus said with his disciples. He says, you know, you need to forgive your brother. And they say, well, how many times should I forgive my brother? That's where we have the differences. It's like, well, you know, to what extent, we're always going to find some reason. Now, what are those reasons? What, what, what is it that's causing us to put a limit on that mechanism? What is it that's causing us to say, well, we were doing that, but now we need to just switch out of that and just say, forget it. It's fear that it's not going to work out. Because even if you, I mean, what is forgiving and repent? I mean, it still doesn't solve the fact that there was a problem, Right? And they're like he says, you know, 
forgive your brother 70 times seven or whatever. You know, you're just going to have to keep on forgiving. Well, that's a scary thing because what's going to... He's saying, unless you have some sort of faith or belief that there's going to be some way of this getting fixed outside of us fixing it because there really isn't too much hope that I'm going to be able to fix it, that this person's going to be able to fix it. It's a hope that there's a God who is perfect and loving and caring and has come down here and lived with us. And that what when it says the blood of Jesus, it's not just a religious term. He's saying that the, the intent behind that is that Jesus did whatever it took to fix our relationship with God. And he will do whatever it takes to fix our relationship with each other. And so if we have a faith that, that Jesus is here involved in our life fixing things that we can't fix or won't fix or aren't able to fix, but he's able to work it out. Then we can walk in, we can just say, well, I'm just going to be forgiving and repenting. And I mean, I just will just admit that I messed up. I mean, you know, because my hope isn't that I'm getting it right. It's that Jesus is going to get it right. And how does that, you know, work out in life? You should be able to see how it works out all the time. You know, when you uh, um, heading up to a friend that's getting married over Christmas, and again, he's sort of challenging us to just look at things kind of realistically. Every single person approaches marriage in terms of this hunt type thing, or this list, or this search, even though everybody knows almost every story you come to Everyone's involved in it, but it's always like, well, I happened to walk across the street and I ran into this, you know, it's like some sort of by chance type thing. And, and, you know, it's part of like the love story type thing. There's something else going on other than us just going out empirically picking the right person. And then how many times do you look out at like two people that have gotten married and, and even though they're fighting like cats and dogs and all that stuff is going on, you look at them and you think, I can't believe, I mean, there couldn't possibly have been a person that's the, the most perfect like match for that. A lot of times people are thinking that, even though they're going at it. But I don't know what's going to survive, but like, I don't know where else this person would have found someone that's all, you know, it's like, look, what the Bible is saying, and this is, you can just look at it for yourself and read through it and make your own decision, but what I believe the Bible is saying, or what the Jesus this person said, is they said to him, well, you know, Moses says you can divorce him, Jesus says, no, what God has joined together, let no one But what Jesus was saying about this is that here's the amazing thing about God, is he genetically created a person that like matches you to give you delight like no one else. And you're never going to find that person. Not in a million trillion years. But he causes it to happen. And that's not to say that you're not fighting like cats and dogs. It's not to say that it's going to last or this or this. It's just to say that if there's any hope at all of finding someone that you're going to have any kind of relationship with whatsoever, and this goes beyond marriage, 
beyond kids, beyond friendship, church, and everything else, it has to be rooted in some sort of hope that there's a God up there who's creating people that will match with us in some sort of way. And even though we're doing everything we can to corrupt that and, and to fight against that and to hurt each other, he's placing us together to bring us joy, not harm. And yes, we're causing each other harm. But he's saying to the extent that we delight, it, it's a gift from God. To the extent that we're and, and he's not even saying, he is in no way saying, here's what you need to do, you need to be repentant and, and forgiveness, and then that's how things work. What he's saying is, is, that's what we should be doing, that's clearly the case, but it's also clearly the case that we're not doing that. So he's not defining it in terms of a law of this is what we should do, he's doing it in terms of just defining what the history is concerning the problem. We all know we need to get along. We all know that we mess up. We all know that we should have some forgiveness, that that's our only hope and some repentance. But we also all know that we're just not doing any of that to any large degree, or that we're always going to pass on it. And that's why we are where we are, where so oftentimes we just get this sense of dread, you know, around people. And he's saying that the hope, what I'm talking about is not us fixing it, but that Jesus is coming down and that you're going to find. Look, there's been, this is my belief, and you can just regard it and believe whatever you want. I'm just telling you what I've come to believe regarding relationships with other people. There's people that I should not love and care for whatsoever in the slightest. There's been too much harm that's been passed back and forth. There's lots of times I, I've been able to see it where just for whatever reason, I just have a lot of grace for that person. I don't know where it comes from. I don't think it comes from me because I don't believe that it comes from me because I don't have it for everybody. And I don't see any reason why I should have it for this person. It just seems to be there. And so because it's there, I have a lot of forgiveness for this person. They do things and it just sort of blows off my back. Someone else could do something that's even just a fraction of it and I'll just blow up. Because that's my normal. And, and so, me personally, I've come to believe that there's certain relationships that are working just simply because God's given me some grace, supernaturally just put it there, and supernaturally put it there with the other person. And so now we're able to enjoy this sort of back and forth of forgiveness. And it's just not that difficult to forgive. And, and there's other things that it's just way too difficult. It just isn't happening. And, and it's all I can say is, I, I don't know. I mean, I just don't have it. And, and I can't muster it up. <clears throat> John ends, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. What John's pretty clearly saying here, or maybe it reads different to you, but the way it reads to me, 
He's saying, stop listening to all these people that keep trying to tell you that you're going to get to some sort of solution to something or some sort of place where you're deriving joy being with each other because you've done the right thing. Because you've read some sort of book that tells you how you need to live your life. They're lying. That's not going to work. And you say, don't take my word for it. I mean, look around. I mean, how many books have there been written about like, here's how you raise your kids and if you follow this thing, then this blah, blah, blah. So we crave to have this. But he's saying, it should be empirically obvious. We need to be able to get along. We're not able to do it. We need to be able to have forgiveness and an attitude because of that, a delight that includes us having repentance and forgiveness. We're not able to do that, but we have this. Do we have enough things that have happened in our life to give us a hope that what the Bible, what these different historical things say of Jesus, that there's a belief that's warranted to say, I think that was true. And he says, give it a shot. See if it makes a difference. See if God doesn't. See if Jesus doesn't start giving some delight in a relationship that comes from nothing other than a gift. And you know, we talked about this before, but one of the things that Jesus did was he came down and got baptized by John. Not, not this John, John the Baptist, for baptism for repentance of sin. And John said, well, why are you doing this? You don't have anything you need to be repent for. And he said, no, just do it. And what happened was God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But what Jesus was making clear there, and what John was making clear, John the Baptist, not this John, is that Jesus didn't need to repent for his sins. But he chose to relate to God under that same manner that we have to relate to God. And God proclaimed, he could have said to Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, outside of that because he hadn't done anything wrong. But under that umbrella of forgiveness for sins, even though he didn't have to be there, he placed himself there, and God's pleasure was on him just as much, if not more, under that. And what he's saying is, is there's no reason, you don't need to believe people when they tell you that the gift of forgiveness that God has for us is cheap, or that it's not worthwhile, or that there's something better out there. There's not anything better. The love that you have that's given to you by forgiveness, I know everyone would love to have a love that, that's, that we've earned, that we've done the right thing. We, we all would love to do that, and we'd love to have that with each other. But, but the love that, that's given freely, that's even better. Why? Because it's not dependent on faulty people. It's dependent on a God in whom there is no darkness. A God who has the power to work things out, even with Jesus, his death on the cross. A God who has the power to give life. And he's saying, this is what I believe. This is what I heard Jesus saying. 
And these other people that are saying, oh, Jesus said this, you know, and what, you know, whatever, I don't even go there. It's just, they're just lying. And he says, and you could look at history, and, and if you want to go that route, look at it. But you could also just look at your own life. Isn't that how we see it to be the case? That we do need repentance, forgiveness? But in order to have that, we need to have some sort of assurance that we're going to be saved, that someone's taking care of us, that someone is watching, that, that we're free to be able to be like that. We would love to be like that. And we're now free to be able to do that because our security is given to us by Jesus. And he says that's what Jesus was offering. And if we can grab a hold of that security, he's not saying that we'll get everything right, that we'll do this, we'll do that. But what we're grabbing a hold of when we grab a hold of that security is we're grabbing a hold of that hope that leads us to the joy that we should be having with God and the joy that we should be having with each other. And he says, don't let liars pull you away from that. Let's pray. Um, let's all stand and you know, pray and sing this last song. And as your heads are bowed, if there's anyone here that would like to accept Jesus as their Savior, if something I said and you felt in your heart stirring you, you haven't done that, you'd like to start that journey with Him today. You raise your hand and, and I'll pray with you real quick. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, we just, uh, just thank you for giving us this hope. And I pray that you would just bring us to a place where we come to see you clearly, come to see who you are and, and the words and the, the stories that you preserved about yourself. Help us to come to a, a belief that they're true. But not just a belief that they're true, but a belief in the, the purpose and what it is that you're saying behind that, that we can have forgiveness for our sins and that you will save us. We pray, Lord, that we'd be able to live in, in that joy. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.